The OneOuter.com podcast is now proudly sponsored by William Hill Poker. We are delighted to announce that there will now be a monthly tournament for the next six months. This tournament is exclusive to OneOuter.com listeners who sign up for a William Hill account using promotional code OneOuter when setting up their account. You can find a link to download William Hill Poker by clicking on the advert on OneOuter.com or through one of the links in the William Hill Poker section. You must use one outer as the promotional code to enter the tournament. The first tournament will be Sunday the 23rd of June 2013 at 7pm UK time. The buy-in is only $5 to keep it available to all bankrolls and listeners. There will be added prizes including oneouter.com t-shirts and some excellent poker books. Of course I will be playing the tournament and there will be a prize for the player who knocks me out of the tournament. As well as prizes in the money in the prize pool, Points will be awarded depending on where you finish in the tournament. The best player after the six monthly tournament has finished will be crowned the OneOuter.com tournament champion and receive a very special grand prize. Further details of the tournament dates and prizes can be found on OneOuter.com under the William Hill Poker section. I really hope you can help support the podcast by playing in all or at least one of these tournaments. I look forward to seeing some of you at the tables and hopefully taking your chips from you. So sign up for a William Hill poker account today and use one outer as your promotional code. And the password for the tournaments is Ginger. G-I-N-G-E-R. When inside the William Hill poker client, just click on tournaments and then the magnifying glass icon to search for tournament. Enter one outer and you will find the one outer monthly tournaments there. Thanks for listening. It's a great pleasure today for OneOuter.com that Barry Greenstein has decided to give me some of his time, obviously with the World Series going on just now. How are you today, Barry? Oh, I'm tired, and I assume I'll be tired for the next month and a half. Yeah. Have you played any events yet? Yeah, I played the 25K heads up and the Omaha 8 or better. But, you know, I also, when I get done, play the cash games. So, uh, yeah. you know, I play normally till about five, or 5 in the morning and then rest for a few hours before I get ready to play the tournaments or cash games the next day. So, so um, how, how are you finding your stamina these days? Can you still, no well, problem, put in these sessions? Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, you know, in my 50s and... Uh, you know, probably when I was under 50, I was in better physical shape, so it was easier to just uh, play cash until up till even the noon tournament and play it. And if I got knocked out, maybe take a nap or get in the next tournament. And you know, a lot of times my sleep was on the dinner breaks. Uh, yeah. Now I'm one of the things I'm doing. I'm only playing one event at a time, so that makes it a little easier. And I, I'm not playing all the way you know, through the night into the mornings in the cash games. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, one thing I always uh, joke about is probably in about 10 years, I'll get too old to play both tournaments and cash games, and maybe I'll just focus on the tournaments. And yeah. then I'm sure I'll have a big year because I won't be as tired while I'm playing the tournaments, and, you know, I'll get some people say, oh, boy, how did he get uh, good when he was in his 60s, you know? And they won't realize it's just, uh, you know, me just playing tournaments will probably uh, make it easy for me, you know, a little easier for me to do well. Yeah. How, how much do you think sort of physical condition, you know, it's always been a debate and I'm sure a lot of poker players, you know, like to consider it a sport, etc. But how much do you think an edge, if you're in real good physical shape, you know, like a lot of the top, especially the online pros, uh, seem to try and do, uh, you know, go out work out very rigorously. How much do you think that gives you an edge? Well, you know, there are studies, and being in good physical shape, eating well, you know, are going to help you in anything you do. And I'm trying to do a little, like, uh, I had a, uh, a short break uh, yesterday morning, so instead of doing an interview with you like I'm doing now, uh, I went downstairs and walked down the Stairmaster at my condo. So I'm trying to do a little, and you know, I try to do sit-ups, uh, uh, although uh, I kind of screwed up my, I had a regimen, a workout regimen, just a small sit-up and uh, um, running, uh, you know, a little bit of running um, 
about a month or two ago. Somehow that went out the window, and I haven't been doing that. Yeah. Um, without the risk of sounding like a flood, um, you are in your 50s, but you seem to look like you take good shape in it. You seem to have good genes. You seem quite lean without flirting. Yeah, well, I'm in the worst shape of my life. You know, too much sitting in front of a computer and too much sitting uh, in front of a live poker table, you know, has done that to me. I I think what it, the reason I'm not as bad as some people is I was a really good athlete when I was young. And up until I was in, 30 years old, I was in great shape. So what you see now is 25 years of letting myself go downhill, uh, but I started at a better point than most people. So um, if we just talk about your poker career and think about your staff, um, I've read some of your book and also various interviews with yourself, but for people that aren't aware, um, how did you get your start in poker? Well, I, I played... I was either in eighth grade or a freshman in high school. I can't remember. Um, and someone invited me over to a poker game, play for some to play for some quarters. I hadn't really played, except my. I remember my dad had showed me some stuff about poker, and uh, um, and I played a lot of card games and board games and things like that as a kid, you know, and I was good at them. So. Once they explained the rules of the game, and you know, we probably played in those days five-card stud, Hold'em hadn't yet been invented, so if people wonder why I wasn't playing that. And, uh, you know, it's not that complicated a game, you know, five-card stud. And, you know, I won my first session, and I remember I won my second session. I can't remember after that. And, uh, you know, then it got to where it was kind of a regular thing that on Friday nights I played poker. So, uh, you know, I didn't play it, uh, uh, you know, to exclusion like you, see, you know, like you see some of the younger players, you know, and maybe it's because of uh, how accessible it is online, uh, you know, they, they sometimes play too much poker and don't have a well-rounded life, uh, so, uh, you know, they don't play sports and stay in good shape, things like that, so, you know, I did, you know, poker was just a, a one-night-a-week activity for me. Mm -hmm. To touch on what you said there, um, with these guys, uh, you know, you say it's important to have a balanced life, and I totally agree with that. And even at the small stakes I play, you know, it's it's by no means my income. Uh, but what I sort of find myself thinking in terms of you know a balanced life, it's very difficult to do that for guys that are starting out. Do you agree that have to put in? They don't have the bankroll, so they're playing, you know, micro stakes online, small tournaments, and having to put in a tremendous volume. So it becomes, I mean, sort of saying, you have to find time, even when you're starting out, to have a balanced life. Well, I, I don't agree that they have to do that. I think they're just, uh, you know, I mean, this is an age-old uh, question. We have the the Greeks 2,000 years ago saying everything in moderation. And I'm sure we have similar sayings in other cultures. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it, you know, people are making bad life decisions, kind of starting out on the on the bad on a bad path by just involving themselves in one activity. And frankly, you know, some of that is probably bad parenting, also. Uh, and by the way, I'm. I'm Saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm not guilty of doing some bad parenting myself, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know if, if you're an adult and you have kids who like poker, you know you probably need to be instead of you know I guess some parents just turn a blind eye or something because mm -hmm. poker at times has a stigma associated with it or gambling does. I think uh, as a parent you definitely should be involved, and uh, you know you should uh, you shouldn't be against poker, you should be uh, against it, uh, uh, you know, controlling even possibly your child's life. You know, I, I get calls all the time, right, not as much now, but, you know, when the poker boom was going on, from parents saying, you know, my, my son wants to drop out of college and he's that's all he does is play poker. Mm -hmm. And uh, and as I talked more with these parents, it was like 100% of the time, I'll tell you what the problem was. They would say, oh, he could have gotten a good job doing it, and then they'd name something that uh, an uncle did or a business that the, the parents had or whatever. 
And I always realized that the people who had the most problems were the parents who equated success with money. And so what would happen is they would have raised their child that if you make money, people are going to look up to you, you're going to be successful. And if you're an intelligent, young, you know, let's say 18-year-old, what way do you have to make a, potentially make a lot of money? Well, if, if you're a smart guy who's good at games, poker is the way. And, you know, it gives you an opportunity. You can't, you know, you can't go to, well, in the United States, we'd say McDonald's and become rich from the time, you know, before you're 21 very easily. And not that many people can start up some tech company or whatever. But poker does, it, you know, whether it gives a real opportunity to some, it certainly has that promise. And we've seen some young, uh, you know, phenoms do well. So it's these kids who think I'm going to be, or I were raised to think money equals success. They go after the money in poker. Uh, you know, I could have, you know, when I was young, just gone after money, but I wasn't raised to believe that money equals success. I was raised to believe you you play sports, you get an education, you do these other things, you you live a well-rounded life. So, um, you know, I, I think my father certainly did a better job raising me with those ideals, you know, than frankly I've done with my own children. Uh, although they're not, you know that materialistic i haven't been that bad in, in yeah. some of the cases but you get what i'm saying is that the i always ended up feeling that the reason for the child's wrong choices were the result of of, uh, of mistakes that the parents made yeah do you not think there's part of sort of society that, um in the media that pushes forward this notion of just chasing dollars well yeah yeah of course like you said that's uh you know, money, you know, I'm playing, you know, all night, uh, you know, in cash games, and I'm playing in the tournaments, and one of the primary goals is to make money. Uh, you know, it, it, you're definitely put in a different position when you're the breadwinner for your family. You have a lot of responsibility, as, as I do. Um, and, you know, the World Series is obviously my, you know, my time to play the most poker. Um, so, you know, it'll be... Uh, you know, I don't want to say even a strenuous month. You know, I'm a pretty experienced player. I can play when I'm tired. I quit the game last night because we were playing mixed games, and I played the wrong game, and I decided that, uh, you know, if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to win. So, uh, you know, I end up uh, quitting. Um, but, uh, you know, it's one of the sayings in my book. And, you know, I won't get it exactly, but, you know, money shouldn't be your goal. But you know, having money allows you to pursue your goals. And and so, you know, for, so of course, we know the advantages of having money, uh, but uh, you still have to create a life for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I think I it goes a lot of these, you know, Malcolm Gladwell books, etc. just now. They're, they're, they're sort of going down the road of telling people to follow their passion, uh, because if you're chasing the money, even when you're still going to feel unfulfilled, you still have to do something you love. So, yeah, guys like yourself, if, if you still have a love for poker and you can make money from it, then it's sort of the ideal scenario, you know, although it still does have this stigma with gambling. Right, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know that I love poker. I'm always asked, to, you know, how much I love poker. and You know, love isn't a word I use with poker. Poker has been my job for a long time. It's a good job. Mm-hmm. But, you know, exactly what you're saying about your passion, the way I always raise my children is to do things you enjoy, get good at things you enjoy, have, you know, have that passion. You know, so my youngest son is a, you know, is a guitarist in a heavy metal band. He tours and doesn't make enough money for expenses. And, uh, you know, you know, I have daughters, uh, you know, daughter who's going to be going to medical school, but she really likes that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, she'll probably be able to make money, obviously, off of that career. You know, my other kids, uh, you know, the, the ones, you know, of course, the one people know is Joe, was in, you know, different dot-com companies and thought he could do stuff in marketing with uh, an online company. But he was, you know, he's a guy that's never going to stay. Joe, he's never going to stay with one thing. You know, he does, you know, you know, all sorts of adventures and travels and hiking and skydiving and things like that. He likes to do lots of different things. And uh, so... You know, the only reason I think Joey stays in poker is, you know, we have a good relationship and 
he's uh, you know is involved in with a lot of things, media and stuff like that. So you know he may stick around, but Joey's a guy who may take off and say, you know, I'm done with poker, you know, because he does like doing lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, just coming back to what you said, you know, about young guys, intelligent, and they enjoy games. I suppose another sort of comparison would be trading, you know, and a lot of traders become poker players and vice versa, and there seems to be a crossover in the skill set. Um, but do you think it just becomes a lot of successful poker players? Well, certainly ones that I've spoken, you know, with, they seem to have. Um, I, I don't want to say lack worth lack of work ethic because that's maybe too much of generalisation, but. They sort of all have always looked for a shortcut somehow, and you think that that's why poker is more appealing to guys and the freedom it gives than say something like trading. Yeah, well, some some poker players, as we've seen, some of the young successful players have taken a very studious approach to poker and aren't lazy, and then others, like you say, look at it as easy money and uh, uh, you know the lifestyle and all that. And some of them get lost in Las Vegas, or you know, I don't know what the uh, uh, counterpart is in Europe of of how they uh, just get into the uh, drinking and uh, you know running around with girls and that whole scene. Um, uh, you know we you know I can understand that uh, you know I have several Finnish friends you know and, and as a country Finland you know percentage wise is probably the most talented poker country and uh, you know they know themselves like as a, as a group they they go out drinking carousing and you know. And there was a concern by the, you know, the government in Finland that they were using, you know, one of the reasons they were against poker is they were saying we're losing a lot of our, you know, what would have been our engineers to poker because of the allure of poker. Uh, and when I talked to, you know, the, my Finnish friends, you know, whether it's Yanni or Patrick or, you know, uh, or some of those guys, uh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, it gets dark here in Finland during the winter. What do you want us to do but stay inside and play poker? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Um, you know, again, for you know, whether you're from Finland or anywhere, uh, you know, in the rest of the world, you've got to do other things. You can't just get into a life that's just poker. It's you know, maybe it's not so bad once you are totally established, have done, you know, you know, like I said, done lots of things, traveled around the world, done, you know, had a, had a pretty good life. Which you know, I've, I've had a really good life. You know, I'm I, I'm not looking back on my life saying, uh, boy, I, you know. I, you know I can still say maybe I played too much poker, but I had a, I've done a lot of things and had yeah. a pretty complete life and education and business and everything. Uh, but I, I think even the successful players are, are going to look back and say, you know, what did I do in my <clears throat> late teens and 20s when, uh, you know, I really, you know, had the potential to, to uh, you know, change the world, let's say. You know, I, I, I could have done a lot of things. I could have had a lot of experiences. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in front of a computer and, you know, now I guess in Europe, you still have, uh, you know, online poker going strong and, you know, in the United States, it's not right now, mm-hmm. but certainly for those U S players. And I've been saying it ever since 2006 when, uh, you know, the law that we call the UIGA came down, it's the perfect time. Poker is not as lucrative as it was during the boom. Um, it's the perfect time to go back to college if you dropped out finish off your education, take up other projects, you know, maybe play a little, there's always ways to play poker, whether it's in, you know, live games or whatever, you know, again, in moderation, but, you know, have a life, get your education, do what you can now, get it out of the way. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Although, um, I myself, I went straight from high school into university, studied economics for four years and finished my degree. Um, but I've always been sort of entrepreneurial, buying and selling stuff, um, antiques, things like that. And I found my way into poker. Um, and, you know, I sort of sometimes wish I didn't go to university because if I'd got into poker way back then and spent those four or five years, you know, learning the game and studying, then um, it might, you know, be in a bigger advantage. But then it's sort of hindsight. Um, yeah, I I, I, yeah, you know, yeah. you could make that case, but one of the things that I think a lot of people are forgetting when it comes to going to university, as you're saying, is that's where you grow up. Yeah. And you may say you would have been a better poker player, but you wouldn't have been as mature a person as you are now 
uh, you know, I don't know exactly what you're doing with the show and stuff like that, but you know, obviously it shows you have capabilities to do other things than play poker. But uh, uh, you know, we see so many of the, the the kids who don't get that maturity squander their success that they they have found in poker anyway. Yeah. And you know, it's uh, if, if if you're, I mean, just pretend you're a parent and you're you got a 21 year old. You want him growing up. Uh, in a university setting with his peers, or do you want him growing up in Las Vegas at the strip clubs? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not saying that as a joke, because, you know, I see these guys who, like, never grow up. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know myself, it's not, you know, people are saying, you know, what am I going to do with that degree? You know, I, I wasn't going to get a job in that field either. Well, you know, I didn't become a math professor. I could have. You know, I went through a Ph.D. program in math. Uh but I did grow up during college, and so it put me in a position where I could learn lots of different things, and did do some programming, and was involved in, uh, you know, a, a big company. It started small, became a, a very big company, so I got that kind of experience, and it helped me even, you know, in, you know, in uh, dealing with things in poker stars. You know, I'm involved in decision making there, and the, you know, I. On the committee for the World Series of Poker, and you know, involved in lots of different things. On the board of uh, directors of Children Incorporated, you know, a really nice uh, organization that helps kids. So, uh, you know, I don't think I would have been well positioned to do some of those things if I hadn't gone through college and grown up. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, I know through Ace on the River, it's peppered with great quotes, everything from philosophers to the Godfather. Um, there's a quote, forgive me, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's from your book, Barry, but there is a quote about poker that says, Darwin takes its toll on poker players in many ways. It takes its toll on the weakest players because they'll never become good players. It takes its toll on the good players because they'll never become great players. But it takes its greatest toll on the excellent players because they could have been so much more. I mean, what do you think of a quote like that? Do you ever sort of reflect on poker like that? Well, yeah, the, you know, certainly it's not not from my book, but I I understand it very intimately that you know I did have lots of plans to do things. One was to go to medical school, work on uncurable diseases, and uh, you know maybe I would have gone down that path if it wasn't for poker. You know, especially you know at the time that I wanted to do that. Um, you know, I was at my peak as far as computer skills, you know, uh, math skills, logic skills, and I just felt it would give me an edge in these new frontiers using computers that other people in the medical field didn't have. And in addition, uh, my wife, when I was 30 years old, had had multiple sclerosis, so that was uh, certainly a, a disease I would have liked to be involved uh, researching. Um, and because poker, which often happens when you have a family, uh, the real reason poker got in the way is because I had to support my family. If I was a single guy, I would have gone down some other paths. But once you become, once you have to take care of your family, now you do have to start thinking of making money as a priority over uh, living your life. Yeah, I think that hits on something that you know a lot of older players have said to me. They look at these young guys that don't have jobs and they have the time to, you know, study the game, but they they don't use it, you know, lack of motivation or whatever, and they just play a few hours online and don't really maximise the potential they have with having free time and not a family and you know no responsibilities to sort of worry about. Yeah, yeah, and we see it even with uh, with tournament winners. As a matter of fact, I had uh, a European player. You're from the UK, right? Scotland, UK. Okay, so and uh, Rupert Elder won the EPT San Remo, and then we were seated next to each other in Madrid, and he was asking me some questions about uh, you know what he should do with the money. And I said, put most of it away, um, and act like you don't even have it, and play the same stakes you were playing before, and just consider that money to be your future children's money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, whereas we'll see a lot of people, you know, so many people, just like we see with lottery winnings and things like that, just gamble it up and uh, lose it and think that it's going to be easy to repeat. It's not that easy to win a big tournament. And so, uh, 
you know, you you got to be really protective with that money if you do happen to hit hit a big score, whether it's your tournaments or cash games, whatever. Take some off the table, put it away, and, and uh, don't even act like it's part of your poker bankroll. Yeah. In, in terms of money management, um, what's your stance for sort of a, a young guy starting out now that has a thousand dollars and he loads it into poker stars? And um, is it all specific to their circumstances? Like you say, if the guy's single, he can afford to, you know, take a little bit more shots. Or should we just be looking at the sort of 50 to 100 buys, you know, for a game? Well, I'm not the best person to ask about money management. Uh, when I was young, I certainly took all shots and, you know, wasn't afraid to go broke because I knew I could restart all the time. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I and I also was a good enough player relative to my opponents that I could take more risks. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily the case in poker anymore because... So many people are educated about how to play well, with whether it's teaching schools, other kinds, kinds of information. There's good information out that, you know, it wasn't that way when I was a, a young poker player. Yeah. Um, and also with the things that have gone on, you know, with online gambling and having some of its issues, it's made the games get tougher. And the other thing is, you know, the uh, global economic meltdown we had, uh, you know, for the last few years has meant that uh, recreational players weren't putting as much money into poker. And then mm-hmm. another factor is tournament poker got big, and so you had some of those recreational players who'd rather play tournaments than cash games. So many things happened that could have you know, potentially made it difficult to become a, be a professional poker player and make money. As you know, When I was young, I had a lot of opportunities if I wanted to. Uh, sometimes I might have to travel, but there were good games uh, to be found. Um, and, uh, so it's a little different and, and what I'm, what I'm in a roundabout way trying to answer your question. So management probably is more important now than it was when I was a young poker player. Um, and so, uh, uh, again, I didn't practice good management. It's hurt me when I was older too, where, you know, I just played, I played the biggest games. I didn't uh, select my games necessarily that well anymore. I, I, that, well, now I probably am selecting a little better than I was in the past because money's tight. You know, I I always have to you know, recognize that uh, uh, you know I don't want to go off for a number in a game and not have you know where I may not have the opportunities to make that back. And I also, at this point in my career, have to realize that you know I may only have about ten more, ten to fifteen more good years of earning power. You know, because my skills certainly uh, you know, are going, you know, are deteriorating a little bit each year. Mm. How much of it, Barry, is your skills deteriorating, or you know, because sure, you're still a world-class poker player, but how much of it is the average field? You know, the average guy is getting better. Well, you know, there's some of that, but uh, you know, that obviously has an effect. But you know, I can't control that. That you know, my opponents are better. You know, I can control. I do, and I can just see, you know, focus isn't as good, my decision making's not as good, Um, you know, it's just the difference between being my age and being in in my prime, in my prime, I, you know, I I didn't make as many plays that afterwards that that was the wrong play, whereas nowadays that happens very frequently, where I just didn't process all the information in real life. Right. So, um, right. you know, it's uh, you know, it's. I think a lot of poker players who are listening to me now will see. Uh, you know, I'm still sharp, and I've obviously got a lot of experience. But once you get over fifty, you know, you do slow down a little. And Doyle warned me about that. And Doyle's pretty much the uh, uh, you know the guy you know. He's the guy who was the best at his age at you know at many different ages, and I'm sure he's the best poker playing 78 year old or whatever he is right now. Um, and uh, you know it's amazing because obviously his health went down. You know he was overweight for a lot of his adult life. You know I don't have that issue, so in that regard, I, I think that'll help me maybe uh, be able to compete with the standards he's set. You know he he has set all those standards. Uh, we'll see. 
you know, I've got good genes. My dad is 95 years old and really sharp. And I even discussed with him maybe when he's 97, uh, he should play in the World Series of Poker and try to break the record for the oldest person playing. If my dad plays, it's not going to be like these old people who are just happy to play. He'll be playing to win. You know, he did play <laughs> poker. He was a winning poker player when he was young. He trades on the market. He's very active. Every day goes out and walks. He trades yeah. on the market uh, every day. And uh, he, uh, uh, I beg him to move in with me, but he won't because he doesn't, he cooks and does everything for himself and doesn't feel he needs, uh, needs to be dependent on me. And that, that's amazing at that age, isn't it? I think, I think you're free rolling if you can get to your 90s and you're still active trading the markets and walking. I mean, that, that, I don't know, I'm from Scotland. We're notoriously unhealthy. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, hopefully I'm around when I'm 90 and I can still, you know, walk and play poker. I'm still sort of independent. Um, if we just sort of talk about, uh, you know, you mentioned Doyle there and stuff. Um, did, did you ever play with Stu Unger? I actually didn't play very much with Stu. You know, I, the last, I was, I went deep the last time he won the World Series and, and uh, I was at his table when I got knocked out. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a funny hand. It was uh, Chris Bjorn, who I'm sure you're familiar with, knocked me out. And uh, it was a very, very tough table. Um, I don't know, three or four tables left, something like that, maybe a little more. And uh, and I remember looking at Chris. And in those days, Chris was more of a pot limit Omaha player. And uh, we had played cash games, and you know he knew that I was... Uh, a better no limit holdem player than he was. He was pretty experienced in no limit holdem actually in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now Chris is talk about age. Chris is uh, putting up a mark for the best player at his age. You know, Chris is still a fantastic player, and he's uh, I don't know eight years older than I am, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I knew that Chris was going to look around the table, and I wasn't a tournament player in those days. I hadn't played many tournaments, and. Uh, and Chris, I'm sure, looked around and saw how tough our table was. And I knew he had he had me covered. And I said, I know he's coming after me the first chance possible because there are a lot of tough players at the table. And first time around, you know, or one of the first orbits, I looked down at ace, queen of spades, and I raised, and Chris moves in. And I knew it was coming. And of course, I called, and Chris had king, ten of spades. But in those days, you didn't have to turn your hands up. Yeah. Okay? So... A king came on the flop, and Chris and I had said like quietly to each other, you know what we had. So we knew what we had, but I guess the rest of the table hadn't heard it because you know again what you, the way you handled those situations was differently back then. Mm-hmm. And the board ran out, and I sa- said, "You win," and I threw my hand towards the muck even before Chris tabled his hand. And I still remember, it's probably the last thing I ever heard, you know, Stewie, that was the first time we had met even, that, you know, in any, any way. And I remember Stewie saying, I can't believe this late in the tournament, a guy could get all his money in and just throw his hand away <laughs> and, and say he can't win. And, and then he said, and he called it off, you know, so I remember that. So yeah. funny situation. So um, if we just talk about, you know, in terms of the, the, the current situation with poker, in terms of the online environment, as you said, you know, in Europe, it, it's sort of unchanged. Uh, the games are actually, you know, people have been discussing that they're a lot softer now without all the American regulars and stuff playing on the sites. Um, I myself play um, poker stars. And in fact, I'm in a couple of tournaments just now. And uh, the, the interview, I was glad Barry was available, but it was sort of short notice on my part. Um, so I'm still in the tournaments on Stars just now. Um, I've, as I say, I had money in full tilt, and when Black Friday happened, I was in the local casino, and I couldn't believe it. I went home just as a sort of precaution and tried to take my money out of both sites, and both of the withdrawals went through. Stars went through straight away. But full tilt was having a problem just due to the amount of people trying to withdraw money from it. Uh-huh. Um, a software issue. And I, I left it a couple of hours and eventually the, the, the withdrawal went through. 
and in fairness, the money hit my account four or five days later. But I can say, you know, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, Barry, but it must be so refreshing to represent poker stars just now in this situation rather than, you know, some of the other sites. You know, I, I, I would say full tilt because speaking from a personal point of view, the, ex- the customer service I've experienced from Full Tilt, and this is me in the UK where they're still encouraging players to play, has been absolutely shocking um, in terms of re- response to emails. I mean, obviously, they've got a lot to deal with just now, but still responding to an email um, is taking days. Sometimes I've not even received a response. And there's a few other like little bits and pieces I have to tidy up. I ordered a an iPod. I've had a hundred thousand free player points in Infilter, and I said, "Well, I won't be playing them just now, as you know, a bo- to cash out a bonus or anything. So I'll go and buy something I can sell." So I ordered an iPod like six, seven weeks ago. It's not arrived. I've emailed about it a few times, and they're very grey area, saying we've, we've we're in talks with a distributor and stuff. I don't know how much you can sort of comment on feel, you know, co- comfortable commenting personally and stuff, but. Well, What's your sort of take on that? Well, you know, there are a few things I want to say. First of all, people criticize the sponsoring pros if things don't go well more than they should. And I know it more than anyone. I have my son, Joe, who, you know, I criticized his decision to, to join Ultimate Bet. But once he was there, you know, he did get stuff done. And, and like anything he got done, people didn't want to give him credit for. Uh, and if you read the forums, it's like he didn't do these things. They just say he didn't do them, and he actually did a lot of things. Uh, and then they call him a liar, which he isn't. And uh, he was like the first person they had from UB who would tell the truth, whether it was a bad truth or you know not. He'd just say he might have been given misinformation in some cases by you know the higher ups. We would, that's still left to be determined. But uh, you know he worked hard, did a good job. He was a spokesman. And then, you know, the company doesn't do well, and they're facing one of those situations you're talking about where we still don't know if they're going to pay off players. Uh, and although Joey's not even with the company anymore, people will criticize him like he led lambs to the slaughter or something like that. You know, obviously he didn't ever intentionally try to put anyone in a position where they would lose their money, uh, you know, in a way like this. And, and the same with the Full Tilt representatives. You know, these guys are friends of mine for the most part. You know, Team Full Tilt and some of the other Red Pros, uh, they don't make these management decisions. So, you know, when I hear people going after the team members, these are other poker players. They obviously want the players to get their money. They aren't trying to do anything uh, to hurt players. And so, you know, to go after them is a lot of times, uh, you know, ridiculous. And even as a member of Poker Stars, yeah, of course, I'm happy that Poker Stars was able to be in a position to, to do, let's say, what we call the right thing. You know, they were mandated by their. Uh, gaming commission at the Isle of Man to have money in, you know, they had to have on a daily basis an equal amount of money in the player's bank account that they have uh, to to that on site. And that, even though there would be millions in transit, uh, that was that didn't matter. They need, still needed the money there. Uh, of course, it helped. They were a very successful company. You know, uh, uh, you know, we can always speculate if a company isn't as successful as Stars. Would they have the extra money to have it in a, you know, to run the company and have money in transit in the pipeline and money in a bank account? Uh, you know, I assume full tilt, although they were, you know, the second largest company, maybe didn't have enough money. And also they had more American players, so they had more of their assets frozen in the United States. We come up with all reasons for these things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I think a lot of people think there are, you know, maybe some management missteps at full tilt. But even that, uh, you know, um, for my part, being uh, you know, representative for poker stars, I, I'm never going to publicly put down Full Tilt uh, or any other company. Uh, you know, my, uh, you know, I have discussions behind the scenes, frankly, with the members of Team Full Tilt, uh, who are friends of mine, who obviously are still concerned about players getting their money, and and uh, you know, we'll see how that whole thing goes. So. Uh, you know, it's very unfortunate. Any of these things that happen in the poker community, where it was the scandals with uh, you being an absolute poker, uh, or, you know, the full tilt, uh, uh, you know, not being able to pay out currently, it, it affects all of online poker. It affects us all. And so I'm not sitting somewhere up in, 
in an ivory tower smiling at uh, <laughs> Full Tilt's, uh, uh, you know, misfortune. It, it's yeah. not good for for all of us. Um, you know, and, ho- and hopefully it'll get resolved. And, and uh, you know, I think uh, we still think that, uh, that a resolution will be coming. We don't know how, how long it will take. Uh, and time will tell. You know, I, I really don't know. Uh, poker star At Poker Stars, you know, we got that one right. We, we've got some, you know, and, and, you know, Tom Dwan and Phil Galfond put out a statement about guaranteeing money, and Tom wanted me as a representative of PokerStars to put out the same guarantee. Mm-hmm. And I told him at the time, it's ridiculous. I don't have the money to bail out the players. If, you know, this is after Black Friday, before we knew that PokerStars would come through. I said, I don't have that money. I do know that I talked to upper management, and they've guaranteed me on numerous occasions that money is in a separate account. You know, I guess somehow that money could have been locked uh, if the you know the UK would have agreed with the United States to lock up money. Who knows? But it didn't. You know, that money was allowed to be passed out to the players, right. and uh, so yeah, obviously I was happy as a representative of Poker Stars that we we were able to do that. Um, but we still have issues. Uh, you know, the issue is that the DOJ has frozen. Funds, which you know, we're in good money position at Poker Stars, you know, uh, so we can handle that. But uh, we still have to try to get online poker back legal and regulated in the United States, which is the the bigger question. And to get rid of some of those, you know, indictments. You know, one of the things that uh, I think people should know with Poker Stars, every action that they've taken, whether it's serving customers in the United States or even processing payments and things like that, there are lawyers looking over the shoulder of those decisions trying to make sure that they're legal and defensible in court. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've always felt that it's legal to play online poker in the United States. There was no law saying it wasn't. So, you know, even this DOJ action at Department of Justice for the people in Europe, you know, we thought wasn't right according to the law, but, you know, it's it's not like we've gone to court yet. They've made their decision. They've made their indictments. We have lawyers discussing it, and hopefully we will, you know, I think clearer heads will prevail and say, you know, this wasn't this, you know, this organized crime situation that the DOJ is trying to make it into. It was our interpretation of the law, and uh, we didn't do anything wrong. And, uh, you know, we'll see how that all winds out. You know, obviously it's, a, it's you know, in some sense a scary time, uh, you know, because you just don't know how it's all going to get resolved. The only thing you know for sure is, as usual, the lawyers are going to make a lot of money on both sides. Yeah, and I think you touched on, um, fr- you know, from a UK perspective, we we enjoy as much online poker as we want. The winnings are tax free here, etc. And I think it's a shame for, you know, for want of a better word, in for online poker and poker as a whole, as you say, because the sort of every man on the street in the States, he's still going to think twice sort of even more about depositing and, you know, playing online just with all this sort of controversy, you know, whether it was, you know, scandals from other sites, now these site seizures and stuff. Guys that have never deposited online, it's going to, you know, alter them in, in their decision, do you, do you not think? Well, well, right now it's about at zero, so it's kind yeah. of <laughs> further. Uh, but, you know, there will be a legal resolution of all this. And, uh, you know, we're all hoping the eventual resolution is online poker is legal and regulated. And then, you know, we may have a second poker room at that point. But, you know, these things are on hold. Uh, every day of the week there are lawyers discussing with other lawyers uh, how to proceed and if this thing will go to court and whatever. And, Obviously, outside of lawyers, there are lawmakers. You know, we obviously have many members of Congress who are who don't think that the government should be coming into our uh, homes and telling us that we can't play online poker. Uh, you know, I think even philosophically, most people agree in America. You know, it's a country founded on personal freedoms uh, that this should be allowed. I think most of the people who are against it just misunderstand the uh, the situation. They hear anecdotally that too many young kids are playing poker, compulsive gamblers to have access online. They hear those stories, and that scares them, you know, which I understand. But it really what's going on here with online poker is we're talking about new technology, uh, the Internet, 
uh, whether it's eBay or anything else, you know, there's lots of things that, uh, uh, you know, the Internet presents us with, you know, new, you know, questions of how do we tax profits online, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and with online poker, you know, what, you know, I would even equate it to the invention of the automobile. When the automobile came in, we didn't say, you know, if we let the young kids, 12-year-olds, drive automobiles, they're going to get in accidents and kill themselves. So the automobile should be banned. We said we've got a license to regulate it. People have to be tested. People have to be 16 years old, uh, you know, in most cases, maybe 18 in some other places, to drive these cars, you know, so we know it's safe. So we regulated that industry, uh, you know, once it became bigger. Well, same with, uh, you know, in online poker, what needs to be done, you don't need to say because we don't want a 16-year-old playing online poker, uh, we should just eliminate it. Uh, no, we should regulate it. We, you know, the sites don't want underage kids playing online poker, and actually, it's probably better online than live. You know, I played poker when I was 12 years old, as I told you, mm-hmm. but I couldn't play online poker because I didn't have a credit card when I was 12. Well, they didn't exist. I don't think when I was 12. <laughs> uh, but you know, if as a 12-year-old now, he's not going to have a credit card. He's not going to be able to play online that easily. If you've got a, if a, my 16-year-old child was stealing, you know, I mean, you even hear these things, stealing his parents' credit card and playing online, which probably do it to, you know, buy something on the internet before you play online in a lot of cases. But if my 16-year-old's stealing my credit card and playing online, I'm, I've got a parenting problem. I don't have an online poker problem. And yeah. that, you know, I, I raised my kids a professional poker player. They, I didn't have any problems with them playing poker. At You know, I mean, I do have one. My youngest son played from the time he was 18 years old. I took him on one of these cruises so he was old enough to play. He likes poker. Joey, you know, my second oldest son, never played a hand of poker until he was like 27 or 28. So, uh, you know, if you can't parent your kids well, don't, like, strike out at online poker. Uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, you know, there are lots of different areas where your kids may go wrong. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're missing the boat. I think the other thing where the lawmakers get confused is, and I was on some television show once where they were attacking me because I was promoting uh, online poker. They were saying, hey, you know, couldn't you lose your house uh, playing poker online? I said, well, I don't think they let me put my house on the Internet. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that they were confused about, and I didn't do as good a job as explaining it then, is we have recreational players and we have professional players, just like we have, let's say, in golf. Your recreational player plays poker for $50, $100, an amount that, you know, for the most part he can afford and is in his account, is kind of insulated from his own banking account to some degree. Yeah. And your professional player plays for large sums of money. And so, you know, saying people shouldn't be play online poker because professionals may play for hundreds of thousands of dollars is kind of like saying that, uh, well, where you come from, Lee Westwood, and, uh, you know, we'll throw in Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson over here, shouldn't be allowed to play golf for hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars because that would be a lot of money to a recreational player. It's just a, an absurd argument. Yeah. Uh, I recently saw on CNBC uh, in Europe, they had uh, some guy on uh, some religious group, and he was speaking about there was a correlation between online poker and child abuse, and the actual anchor man had to stop him and say, look, that, where have you pulled that from? There's no, you know, there's nothing to back that up at all. And he said on air, look, we're we're not, you know, condoning that comment. If he comes back with facts and stuff, we'll be the first to put them on. But this was just a guy, you know, that's got it in his head that gambling's the devil. And I've seen, I've said myself recently on a show that people that are against gambling to that extent are never going to be convinced of the benefits of online poker, etc. You know, as you say, it just has to be a regulation and whatever sort of shape or form that takes in the U.S., uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And that's for the whole poker world, not just U.S. players. Well, well, here's the funny thing about all that. You know, I've been to some hearings, and they'll have some guy from, uh, you know, whether it's called Moral Majority or, you know, Focus on the Family, those are some of the groups, some of the things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times these are good people who are, you know, they think it's wrong to take money from people, and, and there's nothing... I, I can't even say their, their, their personal view is wrong. I was a poker player who made money when I was in college, and uh, I'd buy pizzas for the floor on Fridays, I remember. And, 
I, you know, I had more money than the other kids that I had made through poker. And uh, some of the girls, it was a co-ed floor, and I remember they'd come, they want to play poker with me. And I'd say, I'm not going to play. And they'd say, for pennies. i say, I don't want to take your pennies. You know, I won't play. <laughs> and so I don't, like, try to take my friend's money in poker either. The people I play against are my opponents. That's very different. And so for these people who are speaking against poker, especially from these religious groups, I wish one of them would get their head out of the sand because you know who's giving them money to be on that pulpit? It's, an, it's a different gambling concern that's competing against online poker. In yeah. Kentucky and you know, the United States, I know the United States obviously better than Europe, uh, it's the horse racing industry. In, uh, in, uh, uh, we have a law against it in uh, Washington State because the Indian casinos lobbied against online poker. They want them in their casinos. So you know, when are some of these people going to be intelligent enough to say, I'm getting backed by a different gambling group? That's all. Yeah. It, it's, it's never about morals. Mm-hmm. It's about competing in business. Yeah. And so you know, none of them have been, frankly, intelligent enough. None of these folks have been intelligent enough to say, wait a second, I'm being used. They're just happy to be used and be able to get their moral message out. And, and I'm never going to argue with their moral message. You know, we all have a right to believe, uh, you know, I mean, we had this guy who believed the world was going to come to an end, you know, a, a few weeks ago and, and got people to contribute millions of dollars because they thought yeah. they wouldn't need it anymore. Uh, you know, by the way, religious crime, is, you know, for years was the largest growing criminal segment we had, you know, because people just get bilked out of their money. Yeah. By these, uh, you know, whether it's televangelists or whatever, convincing people of all sorts of garbage. And so, uh, you know, some of the people believe this stuff and some don't. You know, again, I'm not going to get in that argument. Uh, but uh, one day we'll have an intelligent religious spokesman who will say, you know, quit using me. You know, uh, let's look at this in a, in a more adult way. You know, maybe we'll never have one of them. Uh, and yeah, I don't believe that it's moral to gamble. That's against my moral code, and I'm going to tell my followers and myself that they shouldn't do that. But uh, I still recognize what the normal activities of adults are, and you know, it, you know, it's kind of you know, gambling is something that is in all cultures, and uh, you know, it's just something that people, a lot of people like to do and do it responsibly, and. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say they can't, you know, I mean, frankly, I think it's more harmful that they put some of these religious programs on TV than they than uh, they put poker shows on, uh, for sure. And I certainly won't want my kids listening to that stuff. Well, Barry, it would be wrong to have you on and not ask about your very good friend, Phil Ivey, arguably the greatest player ever, and um, certainly my favorite, but probably a lot of people's favorite uh, player. Yeah, yeah, he was everyone's favorite player, except now a few of the full tilt tilt people are unhappy with him. uh, (laughs) So I heard something about that. (laughs) Um, So So what what makes Phil so good? Without thinking he's evil, you know? What what makes him so good in your mind? He had a good good, uh, helper. You know, he used to come to me when he was young, and I certainly... you know, would say I helped him more than anyone else. Uh, He was a pretty smart kid. You know, I know when he was... When I first met him, I didn't know he was going to be that good a player. And we needed more players in the big game, and he was kind of a struggling player at the highest limits. He was a winning player at the uh, at the next level down. And we were short on players. You know, I helped him. A lot of it was even self-serving. I just wanted another player who could stay in the game so we could have games. And uh, he would ask me for help, which I gave him. And, uh, and you know, a lot of people think he's just a savant, and he uh, just naturally is a good poker player, but he did his his time, not that much unlike, you know, I was discussing this with Phil Galfond, who's obviously a good young player. Phil's more analytical, you know, studied hand histories or whatever, you know, the online kids did. Phil just ran these things through his mind. I've seen so many times where I've gotten arguments with Phil. Well, when I was young, he would listen to me. Now that he's older, he argues with me. Um, but so many times, I would discuss a point, and I'd say he was doing something wrong. And he would come back the next morning after sleeping on it, and he would say, you know, I kind of thought it through. I thought about different hands and how, you know, and you're right. And it's, he's got that kind of mind where he could, like, go through these different scenarios, and uh, 
and say, you know, you know, that he could see how maybe my suggestion was working out better than what he was doing. And, uh, and of course, the other thing that every good poker player does, and Phil's very good at it, you analyze what other people are doing that allows them to win, and you try to incorporate those things in your own game. And that's true whether it's online or, or live. You know, that's how you become a better player. And Phil's done this, you know, in, you know, I guess you could say masterful fashion. And, and it's allowed him to be, you know, it, I never like to say the best because there's so many different games of poker, uh, forms of poker we play. There's so many different scenarios, whether it's full uh, uh, ring game or six max or heads up or whatever. Uh, and it's not like Phil is the best at every form. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't use that word. But one thing he's been so good at and, and that I, you know, I do use the word the best because I haven't seen anyone better. And adapting to what his opponents are doing, he's just great. You know, he knows what they're doing. A lot of times he starts out losing, whether he played someone online or whatever, but he figures out what they're doing, and 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 in real time he figures out a way to combat it. Uh, you know, we've seen online a few matches he had where, like, the first day the guy beat him, and the second day even, and then he'll call me, and and, and you know I get to hear the the backstory. He'll say. This guy's dead. I know everything he does. I know what's going to work against him. And and a lot of times I worry that he's too cocky. You know, I mean, he doesn't come off cocky, obviously, in public, but, you know, behind the scenes he'll be saying stuff like this, even when he's down to the guy. Mm-hmm. But eventually he's going to get like me, where he gets a little too old to make some of these claims. But up to this point, when he's told me I got this guy, he's been right probably 100% of the time. Maybe not 100, because sometimes the guy loses a little back and gives up. Yeah. But Phil gets his man in an ordinate amount of time. And so he's uh, it's been phenomenal what he's been able to conquer in the poker world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, Phil's made that personal decision not to play in the World Series this year. I mean, just how much of a miss is that for, you know, for himself personally chasing bracelets and also, you know, the poker community as a whole? Well, you know, some of the things that people are accusing him of doing some things that are self-serving uh, with a lawsuit and these other other things. And, and uh, again, I've got friends on both sides of this argument. Obviously, what he did isn't helping out the company full tilt at the moment. Uh, you know, the question is, is it just self-centered in helping Phil out? There's more stuff behind the scenes that Phil's upset about that isn't coming to light. Phil is obviously a real close friend of mine. I heard his argument. You know, he screamed it at me over the phone, and I never got a word in edgewise. Um, and he's unhappy with the developments. He feels that management could have done a better job. Uh, and uh, you know, I, and I've talked to people on the other side of the argument, feeling Phil doesn't understand uh, you know what they've tried to do, uh, and some of the offers they've rejected uh, to, to resolve the problem. Uh, you know, that would have been no good for the company. So there, there are two sides to this argument. I don't know if it's ever going to go to court. Uh, you know, as some people have realized, Phil kind of wants to, he does want to get out of his deal uh, for a number of reasons. Again, he's a adult. He can speak for himself. And, uh, you know, he may or not express all, all the, his reasoning here. Uh, I'm sure a lot of it will come out, and a lot of it has been speculated about already. You know, you can read it in the forums, other places. Some of the people do have a, a pretty good feel for what's uh, going on here with the lawsuit and with Phil. Um, but uh, his decision, you know, independent of that, uh, uh, of his post that he made and his lawsuit, he, it's a separate decision not to play at the World Series of Poker. And that decision is not one that I think can easily be attacked and say he's just looking out for himself. Phil wants to play at the World Series of Poker. He looks forward to that. He wants to break all the records. He's a very competitive person. He did feel. And I told him when this whole thing hit, I told him one day, you know, people are going to be coming up to you at the World Series of Poker and aren't going to be, it's not going to be the I love Phil anymore. It's going to be the where is my money. And he at first was oblivious and said, are you kidding me? People are going to get in my face. Let's see them do that type of thing. But then over the weeks, he realized that other people were saying, hey, you know, this is what's about to happen to you. And 
people aren't too happy with the, you as a representative of the company anymore. He took it very personally. And so I think that part of it was very heartfelt, that he said, I can't look at people with good conscience who are, will say to me, I can't play because my money's locked up. Mm-hmm. And you can. Uh, I don't see that part of his statement as anything but integrity. You know, no matter who wants to knock him for the rest of it and the harm he may have done to Full Tilt, that's a separate issue. And Mm -hmm. and obviously there are two sides of that one. But this particular stance, how many people in his position are going to do that? Uh, I don't think many. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's the only one sort of from Full Tilt I've heard come out and sort of even make a comment on it. A lot of the Red Trolls and stuff haven't came out and said anything. But, yeah, I suppose Phil, you know, he's decided he doesn't want to do that. Um, there's obviously been reports of a lot of players being harassed and screaming matches about the full tilt situation. Uh, you can understand anyone looking to sort of not want to go through, you know, with that. Um, but also from a competitive point of view, he's been chasing bracelets a little more, and you know, his recent years, he's had a few. He final tabled the main event, of course, and stuff. He seems to have a real hunger for the World Series, so surely he's going to miss it personally. And he's got a bunch of bets. I don't even know how that stuff's all going to work out. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, because he was... That was the famous thing, isn't it? The bracelet bets every series. Right. Uh, so about bracelets, everybody. Um, do you have any bracelet bets this year? I have all sorts of different bets, and I'm not too happy right now because you only get so many opportunities, and you know the way it works with tournaments is you hope to make a deep run, and then once you get deep, you hope good things happen, you get to the final table, and some more good things happen, and you win it. And so I had a good start in the Omaha Eater Better tournament uh, that I played starting uh, two days ago, and struggled yesterday, got to where I thought I was going to bubble it, actually, and got very lucky, and then I, went, I won a couple hands, and before you knew it, I was back over average with only... Uh, you know, under 40 people to go. And this was now a, a kind of a point where if I could win a few more hands, I'm going to be the chip leader. You know, I was in that good a shape. But I lost those hands. I lost them to uh, uh, Vladimir Shemilov, who's uh, been pretty successful at the World Series the last couple of years. And, the difference, and him winning the pots and me losing them meant he was the chip leader and I was on the rail. And so, uh, uh, you know, that's how it goes. So obviously, you know, on the one hand, I was lucky to get back in the game. On the other hand, it's a missed opportunity. So, you know, how many am I going to have during this World Series where I get in the money and have over-average chips? You know, normally in a, in a World Series, you know, you're not going to have more than about a handful of those. Uh, so this is one that uh, got away, uh, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Are you doing the, I remember, was it last year, pairs, it was you and Jeff Sandro, was it versus Negrano and Eric Lindgren? It was actually two years ago, and we destroyed them because of Jeff. We had them closed out. Jeff always likes to say, you know, I told Jeff, let's close them out before the main event. Mm-hmm. And Jeff did so well. As people know, he won three bracelets, and Jeff That's likes awesome. to joke. Well, we made it so they needed to come first, second, and third in the main event to catch us, <laughs> which is so, a, little hard, a little hard for two people to do. Yeah. So, so that was, uh, you know, that was what Jeff's contribution was. Um, and uh, um, so anyway, uh, they they wouldn't play us last year. We tried to get it, and uh, they made up some excuse. They dodged us. I think they wanted to wait for me to get a year older. They figured I'm over the hill now. But we renewed it this year, and, uh, again, that was another shot. If I could have made the final table on this, I'd have put them behind, uh, I'd have uh, put them, uh, you know, going uphill again. Uh, but instead I got, I don't know how the point system even works this year. I don't even know if they've changed it from last year because I'm on the committee and we discussed it and voted on things and I don't know how it all got resolved. But I made the money. It's our first cash. I noticed Eric Linneran's got good chips in yesterday's uh, 5K No Limit Hold'em, so... Uh, I like Eric. He's a good guy. I hope he takes a bad beat and goes out, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that's where we are there. And today I'll be playing at 5 o'clock uh, in the uh, 10K uh, pot limit hold'em. And uh, uh, Jeff will be there. Well, Jeff's got some chips, I think, still in seven-card stud from yesterday. So hopefully he'll uh, uh, 
uh, you know, increase his chips there and not be able to play this 5K event, or if he gets knocked out, he'll be in there with me. Okay. Well, Barry, that's been over an hour now. You've kindly given your time during your busy, hectic, manic schedule uh, for the World Series. Um, so I just want, I'll push your book for you. Go out and read Ace on the River. It's an excellent book. Um, also, I've started, uh, recently I got hold of an audiobook copy, and I've got it on my iPod, and I was surprised that it was you yourself narrating it, and um, it's brilliant. It's... Yeah, what was really annoying, though, <coughs> is the foreword was written by Doyle, and he was supposed to do uh, his part of the foreword, which would have been, you know, it's always nice to hear Doyle, but mm-hmm. the studio was in Los, uh, Los Angeles, and Doyle lives in Las Vegas, and so... He couldn't come at that time. And then we did get something set up in Las Vegas, but he was out of the country with his website or something at the time. It all got messed up, and finally I wanted the audio tape to go out. So I said, oh, what the heck, I'll just do it myself. So it's not as good with me uh, impersonating Doyle, but outside <laughs> of that, I guess people are happy with it outside of that. Well, I've read the book several times, and it's one of these books when I'm running bad or you know questioning myself or the game, etc. I'll go and read it and go back to it. And it always makes me sort of feel refreshed. But um, you should definitely try and get the audio book if you can as well, because Barry's uh, dulcet tones, uh, shall we say, speaking to you, sort of makes it going a little bit better. It's almost like a, a subliminal self-hypnosis tape sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I actually think it's good for people putting insomniacs to sleep myself. <laughs> I do know but, people uh, listen to it at night, and, and they tell me it works. Yeah. <laughs> No, I enjoy listening to it. Um, it makes you sort of more, I don't know, chilled out. You take your beats a little bit better and stuff. And, you know, it, tomorrow's another day sort of thing. It leaves you with a good attitude and can't be a bad thing in poker. So, uh, listen, good luck at the rest of the World Series, Barry, and I'll be keeping an eye out for your results, and hopefully you can take down some bracelets. Okay, thanks, Barry. Nice talking to you. As a com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0.